Guys, can you do me a favor? Just give it up for Graham one more time in this place. Come on. So, I have to say, it's a good day to be here at Wellspring in Tom's River. This is my hometown, Tom's River, New Jersey. And I just want to give a shout out to your pastors, Pastors Graham, uh, Heather, Pastor Jason, and Ava, for everything they're doing. And then for every single one of you that are serving here throughout church this morning. I saw a lot of you from Rebecca and Joe with Kids Ministry and Youth, and a lot of people serving in the background and production and worship. I mean, you guys are killing it down here. I remember when you shared that you were going to launch, and you said that you wanted to relentlessly show the love of Jesus to your community. I'm probably butchering your vision statement, but I know it was around <laughs> those lines. You're laughing, so some of you probably know what it is, which is great. That's great culture. But you guys truly do that. And I believe with all my heart that Tom's River, New Jersey, and really the entire world is better because of Wellspring Church. And so I just want to give you guys that honor and just clap for you guys in this place today. Come on. Now, I have to give honor <laughs> to my leaders and my pastors, like Pastor Debbie, who is holding the fort down for me up at Liquid Church in Persephone right now to allow me to be down here to hang out with you guys. But I'm pretty excited to have some fun with you guys today. I don't know if you guys are too. Listen, one of Liquid Church's favorite things to do, one of our hearts that Pastor Tim has pretty much launched is coaching and caring for other churches. And that is coaching for churches really around the world. And one thing that I found in this is that it's not just the model and a system that makes or breaks a church, though that's like a big part of it, it's the leadership cap of the leader. And so every leader, all of us, we have leadership caps. And we can break those caps if we're, in if we're um, intentional about trying to break through them. And the truth is, is a lot of times pastors will invite guest preachers out and say, oh, they're my brother or they're my best friend. And behind the curtains, that's not always true. A lot of times they met just that day. I'm proud to say, someone laughed, I'm proud to say that Graham is truly a friend of mine, and I get to see behind the curtains of what he does. He doesn't just do it for a job. He's passionate, he's diligent, and I believe he breaks through his leadership cap, and that's one of the biggest tells of someone who's going to allow God to keep pouring in on him and the people around him. All right, so you guys are blessed to have people like Graham, Heather, Jason, and Ava here at Wellspring. Now... Graham has my Venmo, so you can Venmo me my 20 <laughs> later after service. So if we haven't met, like Graham said, my name is Gary. I get to serve in my dream job as the next-gen pastor at Liquid Church. Uh, I care for our young adults and our high schools across all campuses. If you're unfamiliar with Liquid Church, it's a multi-site church. We have seven locations throughout central Jersey and New Jersey. And so I am born and raised down here in Ocean County. I live in Tom's River, and I commute two hours to church in my office. All right, but I'm blessed because I get to serve with some of the best leaders who I get to call my best friends. Some of them are actually here in this place today with us and watching online. They drove two hours, which is pretty crazy. And so as a next-gen pastor, I'll say that it's not my favorite title. My favorite title in the world has to be, I would say, is as a father and as a husband. And so I'm here today with my beautiful wife, Brittany, and my gorgeous, brilliant, three-year-old princess, Bella, who is in kids' ministry right now. Pray for the kids' ministry. I feel terrible. <laughs> but 
she, uh, she just turned three two weeks ago, and we actually just brought her to Disney World because she is a princess, right? And if you introduce yourself to her or talk to her at all today, she is, in fact, Elsa and Anna's third sister. So do not mistake that because she'll get very angry if you don't address that she is related to them. My wife, as you can see, is Disney obsessed. She loves Disney. It's Disney jewelry, Disney music, Disney movies. It's always Disney, Disney, Disney. Any Disney fanatics in here, right? There's like two sides of that spectrum. Some people hate Disney. Some people love Disney. But there's another thing that she likes, and that's not, it's not me. It's Christmas. She loves Christmas. <laughs> All right, she's obsessed with Christmas. We have three Christmas trees set up in our house year-round. One of them is in our house next to where I sleep. And I wake up, and the branches hit me in the face. And I'm not allowed to move it. <laughs> All right? But I also have two things that I love in this world, and that's my wife and my, so and that's food and food. I'm a self-proclaimed Instagram foodie. I love food hopping, trying new foods out. And by far, that's one of my favorite things to do. And so when we go to Disney, one of my favorite things to do out in Disney and Orlando in general is to try out new foods. And so one of the places in Disney Springs once, once uh, ended up hooking us up um, in return for sharing on social media, and it was salt and straw ice cream. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this place in Disney Springs. It's phenomenal. Uh, they pay me for saying that, not just kidding. <laughs> but the, we ended up having, any vegans or, um, or vegetarians in this place, blindfolds and earmuffs right now, because this is a fried chicken ice cream. This is fried chicken ice cream. So if you're ever in a rush and you need like a meal and a quick dessert, <laughs> this is the way to go. But it actually had like, like crispy fried chicken in it, right? And it was, it was really good. It was one of the best ice creams I've ever had in my life. Now, the second thing was if you're familiar with Voodoo Donuts, they have a location at City Walk in Orlando. And so Voodoo Donuts is known for having like lines of like three hours. I heard people gasp. I know it's weird to say voodoo in church on Sunday mornings. I promise you it's okay. All right, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. But the Voodoo Donuts, they're supposed to be amazing. So I didn't want to wait in the three-hour line, so I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to reach out and DM them. And so I was bright enough to say, I'm going to take the dog emoji. I'm going to DM them the dog emoji and say, oh, my gosh, my, my dog seems to really want your Voodoo Donuts. <laughs> and they read it but never answered me back. It was dot, dot, dot for like 10 minutes and 20 minutes, and then two hours go by, and I'm just... I'm, I'm, one, I'm embarrassed, but I'm thinking, now we have to wait in this three-hour line. And so we did wait in this line. It was really hot. We were dying. Uh, Bella ended up slobbering all over the donuts, but it was, still, <laughs> it was still worth the line, I think. Come back to Tom's River, and I have to say, I don't know that Voodoo Donuts are the best donuts in the world, because I think right down the street, we have the best donuts in the world called Uncle Dudes. And so if you're in this place and you want a donut, I brought some Uncle Dudes for you here tonight or this morning. This is for you guys. You guys catch them. Anybody want some carbs this morning? Tyler, that's for you, bro. So do me one favor. If you're sitting by people and you chew loud, do not open them up and eat. I don't know what the rule is here, like if you eat or drink here, but you know when you're in the movie theater and you're sitting down and it's like a great part of the movie and someone's slurping on soda and munching on popcorn and you're like, man, you're killing the whole vibe right now. I actually get agitated. Like it goes from like zero to 100 to the point where like I wanna like kick them out. Like I, I get so upset about it. I think chewing loud is actually my greatest ick. 
All right. And so some of you laughed because you know what an ick is, but a lot of you in this place may not know what an ick is. And I'm sorry to say that that may mean that's because you're the one giving the ick. But I brought some icks for you today from TikTok that I thought were kind of funny. That's right, man. It's ping pong or uh, uh, beer pong Sunday morning. Who thought that you'd be watching that on TikTok right now? Uh, uh, an ick is pretty much it's just a turn off. All right, it's something that someone sees that oftentimes you don't come back from apparently. And so if you're feeling insecure right now, I found out in the worst way. I was walking through uh, the offices on like a great nine to five day up at work after a two hour drive, right? And as professional as we are, I see a group of women, female uh, leaders or staff laughing uncontrollably over by the cubicles. And so I'm like, man, like that's unprofessional. I wanna go see what they're laughing about. And so I walk over and they're full blown, like on the floor, rolling around. You ever belly laugh with your friends? Like, like when you're feeling silly and you're just crying hysterical from laughing, that was them. There's ugly crying, they were ugly laughing. And so I walked up and I said like, what are you guys laughing about? And they're like, we're talking about the icks from all the guys at work. And I'm like, okay, so I'm laughing with them. What is an ick on my phone? And as I read that it's a turnoff that you don't come back from, I hear them listing them and I'm thinking, I do that, I do that. I'm the ick of Liquid Church. They're literally talking about me right there in that moment. My confidence plummeted there. I stayed in my office the entire rest of the day. I don't want to name names because I do know that HR may watch this online today, but Sabrina McKenna, Jaleesa, and Pastor Debbie, you have been outed. <laughs> so the truth is, man, nobody likes an ick. See, it can make even the most desirable person undesirable. But I think it's possible that even God can get the ick. And so I'm going to show that to you right here in Luke. I'm going to lay down some context. This is in Luke 18. You can open up your Bibles or your apps. I know it's on the screen. We used to have these Bibles you opened up like 100 years ago. You don't see them anywhere anymore. But Jesus would often speak in parables when he taught. And simply put, it was just a simple story. He used relevant teaching. So he knew the culture and he would share what he knew they all thought. But then he would flip it to kind of shock them in how he taught them. And it was kind of witty the way Jesus would teach, if you understand the context. You can imagine some people were intrigued by this. Some people wanted this new fresh teaching and they followed it. And then some people would get infuriated by it. Well, he shares here in verse nine, it says to those who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. See, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, like these robbers and these evildoers and these adulterers, or even God, like this tax collector over here, because I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. 
Now to explain this verse, Pharisees were religious role models, but it wasn't just religion because they were experts in both the Torah and the law. So think of somebody maybe in social media or somewhere or just an imaginary person of someone who is a great religious leader, maybe a preacher or pastor, okay, who's also either a lawyer or holds an office somewhere politically. In that culture, they were considered leaders and pretty much God's favorite. That's what people thought. But then it's interesting here because this Pharisee, he understood the manipulation and the influence, or the influence he had, and he would use that to puff himself up and use that as a manipulative way to glorify himself around others, which I don't think is too uncommon in today's days, days either. When I think about it now, I think it could be like a, a narcissist and a con artist, right? It goes on in verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but he would beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And so it's interesting that Jesus would use a contrast between a Pharisee and a tax collector because tax collectors were hated. In the Greek, sinner, what they call the tax collector, was the same type of sinner that they would call an adulterer. And so we think about that and we're like, oh, no one likes a tax collector, right? I don't like tax collectors. But in here it's saying it's the same as an adulterer. They're saying that this person is far from God in that culture. And the reason being was is because the Romans would recruit them to take money from their people. Think of Russia or another foreign country coming out here and invading the United States. And think of them recruiting a couple of our friends and family to take our hard-earned money and give to them for no reason other than them wanting it. Now, I'd be pretty upset if my friend wanted to benefit off of commission by taking my hard-earned money and giving it to somebody else. You can imagine how much tax collectors were hated in that time. It goes on, it says in 14, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God because all that exalt themselves will be humbled and all that humble themselves will be exhausted or exalted. Jesus is painting a pretty clear picture here that's shocking everybody at that time. See, the Pharisee is someone who you would think would wake up every morning and he would do his devotionals. He would give financially to the community, to the church. He was probably in the front here with his hands held high worshiping for wellspring worship. He is who everyone thought was the perfect example of someone that God would love. However, in this moment, we see that God was turned off by this Pharisee. See, God preferred the posture of the sinner all because of how humble he was before God. So my question for us to think through today during this time together over the next two hours, I'm just kidding, is what in our area of, or what area in our life are we most like the Pharisee? So I think we can, we can challenge ourselves a little bit. I think God can bring freedom to us, but I also think that we have to let him in in every area of our life. And so I know for me, at least, I would say that I fall under the category of insecurity over pride. So maybe that's you in here and you say, you know, I don't think I'm prideful. I think I'm just insecure. I would even say that insecurity is what often opens the door to pride in our lives. And if it's neglected, it can get in the way of the favor of God in our life. So if you leave here after a few laughs, 
and you don't remember anything but one thing today, I would say to remember that your glow up happens, summer glow up, this series, your glow up happens when you humble yourself before the cross. Amen. And we're going to get into that today with you. But first, I'm going to welcome the Spirit of God in this place. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. I know that people came from all over the place. I don't have any clue to what it was like for them to get their family together, to get in the car, to work their way over into this seat. But God, I do know that it's not in vain that there's a reason they're here, Father. And this right now could be one of the most important moments in all of eternity for every single person in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you penetrate the hearts of everyone in here, that no one leaves here the same as they came in, but they leave here better and closer to who have you called them to be. Jesus, take center stage and humble me, and you be glorified in all of it. Holy Spirit, you have full reign in this place today. In Jesus' name, we said amen. 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 So pride, or better yet, self-righteousness, is just the false idea that we are good enough on our own. That's all it is. But the truth is, is what we see here is that Jesus, or God, gets the ick from self-righteousness. Now, do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and say, don't give God the ick, stay humble. If you're online, write in the comments, don't give God the ick, stay humble. Now, I had a bet with one of my best friends that no one in here would say that. (laughs) First service, man, you all said it. Second service, you're saying it, so I just want him to know. You guys are saying it, it just it's a little quieter than first service, okay? (laughs) Graham told me that it was okay for us to talk through this and challenge ourselves today, so I'm gonna have some fun with you guys. Let's think, and you could could shout them out loud, of some self-righteous icks, some icks that Christians can do or just people can do in general, and I'll give you one that I thought of with my wife throughout this week is, what about someone? No, no, not about my wife, with her. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I love my wife. So, um, I married up. <laughs> so, Constant, someone who constantly uses their title outside of their organization that like has people who's completely irrelevant to their title, right? Imagine going to Starbucks and they're asking you for your name and you say, I'm Dr. John. Like the guy at Starbucks does not care that you're Dr. John in any way, right? I cringe. That's why, like, I don't say like Pastor Gary all the time, like ever really. I want people to call me Gary. I'm just Gary, man. I like, I don't want to go around and just like put a title on right off the bat when you talk to someone. What about, what about entitlement with restaurant staff, right? That's a good one. The way we treat servers and the people around us or a hostess when we call, right? I, someone in first service said <laughs> how everyone knows someone. What about when you dr- name drop with people, especially at a restaurant to get like a seat or something or if you didn't like something and you want them to take it back and you name drop, okay? <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> um, Another one I have is cutting someone off when they sin differently than you. So what if you have a friend or a family member or someone who has made a mistake and it just, that one mistake is something that you're not about. And so now you cut them off. See, I don't think that self-care is wrong. I don't think that boundaries are wrong. This is a sermon of its own in the discussion, but I don't think it's godlike to completely cut somebody off. 
And so I think that that could be an ick. How about, and this one's hard to say down here in Tom's River, because I, I know that. How about spiritual debates on social media out of pride? Spiritual debates on social media out of pride. James says that a fool loves to air their own opinion, right? That's a hard one, man. That's hard for me, and I know for a lot of the people that I know and love, but I think that that could be an ick. Another one is when someone glows up and forgets where they came from and the people that helped them get them there, right? I'm thinking of Drake. I'm not really thinking of Drake, but that just came up. <laughs> it was the spirit of God, man. It's moving in this place. So the thing about self-righteousness is that it doesn't just give God the ick, but I think it also gives people the ick. And I think this could be true for both believers and unbelievers. And I think this is a big reason why some people are in love with God, but then end up leaving the church or intrigued by God, but never step foot in the church. And so this is something that I feel the Spirit of God put on my heart to share with you guys. It's one that's hard to say out loud, but I believe that spiritual maturity doesn't necessarily equate the healthy character. I'm going to say it again. Spiritual maturity doesn't necessarily equate the healthy character. And I think this could be very true. And a lot of us can be naive to this thought as Christians. And I'm talking to myself as I speak this today. One of my best friends I grew up with in middle school and high school, um, went to college for a couple of years together, and uh, we, uh, <laughs> we have a family, and we spent a lot of time together. He, over the years, has left the church and considers himself agnostic. I'm gonna put that title on him right now, actually. And so one of the things that we always joke about, we're always messing with each other, we're boys, right? So we teach each other. And he's the kind of person that like, he'll send me really funny memes and stuff or jokes, especially before I preach. God forbid anybody in here ever saw what we're texting or what he's texting me before I come up and preach, you would all die. <laughs> but your youth pastor in the first service laughed at that. I just want you to know that that's funny. That's funny to me, I don't know why. But he often shares of uh, things that the church does that's hypocritical, or maybe even um, uh, like moral failures from religious leaders, or even people on social media who are Christians debating out of pridefulness. And I think it gives him the ick. But here's the deal, is I don't disagree with him in any way. I understand the humor in it. I understand where he's coming from and I don't think he's wrong. And so that makes me ask the question, why does God hate self-righteousness so much? And so there's a story that I like to share about a boy whose name is Luca. I'm gonna hide his real name. I like the idea of Luca. If I ever had a boy, I would name him Luca, so we're gonna go with Luca. We were doing um, a young adults movie night at our Princeton location for Liquid Church last year. And I had to think of a movie and I thought of Uncharted with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. And so the strategy behind this was like, everyone loves Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. All the girls from local, all the young adults, they're all gonna come out and then they're gonna drag out all the boys. And then from the social content, people are gonna see that. And then more people are gonna be like, oh, there's a lot of things going on there. Like, I wanna come out to this. It actually worked. But the thing is, is that it turns out Mark Wahlberg curses a lot. So the night before, our video team had to work like all night long editing out all of his cursing. 
And I felt, I felt terrible. That was a big miss on my part. But the strategy worked, guys. So anyway, I remember setting up the movie, walking around, talking with people, and executing the night. And you know when you're doing an event, you can kind of get lost into the execution and forget about the people around you? Uh, I think that could happen for us at church, too. If you serve in church, you're moving to the next thing constantly. You're kind of like in your head processing things. Sometimes you forget to actually see someone. And you walk by, you see them, but you don't really approach them, connect with them. That's what I felt happened with this boy, Luca. He was sitting on a bench outside our building. And I saw him multiple times throughout the night, but I never approached him. Towards the end, I felt God nudging on my heart to approach Luca and talk with him. And as I did, he began to tell me how he's not a Christian. His family's not a Christian. And he doesn't come out to, to Liquid Church, and he's not here for the event. So my confidence there plummeted. I'm like, I'm never walking up to anybody ever again. No. He went on to tell me that he sits there. He must have been 17 years old. He told me he sits there at the bench a couple nights a week, and he journals. And when he journals, he feels that he feels the embrace of God, and he talks to God. He went on to tell me that he craves desperately to be at that bench every night. And he doesn't tell his mom, doesn't tell his dad, doesn't tell anybody because he doesn't know what they'll think. But then he just writes to God and he feels that peace in that moment. And he was afraid that when we bought this building, we were going to get rid of the bench or that we weren't going to allow him to sit there anymore. And so naturally as a next-gen pastor, my invite or my next uh, uh, reply to that was to invite him to church on a Sunday morning. And that's when the discussion started to change to a different direction. He began to say that he was terrified to step in the church on a Sunday morning. And so I went and sat down with him. I asked him why to try to get to the bottom of this. And he said that all he knows is how judgmental, hypocritical, and prideful Christians can be. And so instead of trying to debate whether that's accurate or not, because I think there's a few different ways to go about that, I asked him how he thought that that would affect him. And he said that he was afraid that he would deal with racism if he came out to church which is farthest from the truth at our church. But who knows how people feel and we can always strive to do better, absolutely. He also went on to say that he felt that if, or he thought that if he was to receive Jesus and publicly be a Christian, that he would have to turn away and maybe even unfollow his friends in the LGBTQ community. Now, this is not a theological debate. Uh, this has nothing to do with that. What I am sharing is the heart of a young man who is desperate to be accepted in the family of the God that he's been talking to every night at that bench. And when I think of this story, it breaks my heart because I can picture a God who's so busy yet still has time in his calendar to sit there at that bench with that kid, Luca, and let him know he loves him and that he's there for him. Yet this kid did not know if he'd be accepted into God's family. I begin to think about the tax collector and the Pharisee, and I understand the ick that God gets from self-righteousness and why that would be in Scripture. See, I think of the tax collector crying out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In his posture that he has before God, when you read through the context of this, uh, mercy 
in the Greek, it actually means atoning sacrifice, right? What Jesus is doing in this moment, and it's layered deep more or deeper than just the surface layer of the text, is he's foreshadowing sacrificing himself on the cross. And if you know anything about the sacrifice of the cross in Romans, it says that God considers us all filthy rags. He considers the tax collector a filthy rag. He considers the Pharisee a filthy rag. He considers me a filthy rag that we all fall short of the glory of God. But while we were yet sinners, he showed his love for us, that he died for us on the cross. See, Jesus is painting a picture of the posture that we should have as we approach God. It's not just humility. It's knowing that we deserve nothing, we owe nothing, or nothing is owed to us. It is all a gift from God. And as we stand here, kneel here before the throne and before the cross, it's out of so much gratefulness knowing that Jesus would come down and die for us when we didn't deserve it. This is the posture that Jesus is talking about that the tax collector is showing. And so I feel the Holy Spirit saying, uh, just to clarify, that doesn't mean you have to lower yourself to glorify God. As we lift God up, we're actually exalted. But this is the posture that we're supposed to show throughout life. I was taking a walk or a run this morning, and I was praying, I was thanking God for my wife and my daughter. And I felt God say, it's his wife he's entrusted me with, or his daughter he's entrusted me with, and his other daughter that he's entrusted me with. And I started to cry as I was running, and I realized God was convicting me and saying, my wife, as big of a blessing as she is, and my daughter, as big of a blessing as she is, they're not mine. My gifts in my life are God's. I did nothing for them, he entrusted me with them. And no one likes to give a bad gift, right? God wants to pour favor on that gift, but we have to come with a posture of knowing that it's all from him and it's not from us. And church, I want you to get this because in this posture of being humble before God, it actually causes a ripple effect. Same way how I'm working on this message and God convicted me and worked in my heart that's gonna pour out on my wife and my daughter this week. It does it, or he does it through every one of you as we humble ourselves before the cross. And it could look differently for everybody. See, maybe it's when you're at lunch or over coffee and you're sharing about an accomplishment or something that happened in your life. Maybe you begin, you remember to mention how many times you failed at it before God came through and helped you make it possible so that you can lift God up and let that person know that they can do it too by being humble before the cross. See, maybe for a lot of us, it's when our spouse boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe when they approach us and they're going through some problems and they're venting and we know the answer, maybe we don't just give them the solution right away to move on to the next thing, but we sit in that space and allow them to process their emotions. So you can look different for everybody in here, but I want you to know that when you posture yourself humbly before the cross, God opens the door to favor on your life and the people around you. Your relationships will begin to thrive, things around you will begin to thrive. Around 10 years ago, we launched a church down here locally in Ocean County, and I, uh, I got to uh, serve as the next-gen pastor over there, and we were portable. We had a portable youth ministry. Um, it just meant that you didn't have a building, you didn't know where to go, 
Uh, so we had a bright idea of going to see court movies down the street from here, right? Uh, it was a lot of fun. We had um, a lot of youth end up coming out from all over the place. They came into our services, our small groups. We saw life change happen. It's everything that you would want when you put your heart and soul into something and believe that it is from God. We had a rock star team, Gianna was on that team. But then over time I saw even through thriving that I began to feel dry and I felt broken and I felt emotionally unwell. And I felt like God was telling me, hey, it's time to step out of this. And I said, no, 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 it doesn't make sense. Like it's doing so well. And he said, no, 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 I'm telling you it's time to step out of this. But there's the problem is I liked the glory of what God was pouring favor on. So what was God's, I used as my identity and I ended up masking who I was and staying in that self-righteousness. And it ate after me and it ate after me to the point where I had to step down. And I would like to say that I stepped down and everything was better, it wasn't. I fell into a huge, long season of depression, of anxiety. I felt cold and broken. And I tell my wife, it's, I, I call it the coldness. Uh, when I struggle with depression, I say that it's like being out in the storm in the ocean and the waves are crashing down on you. The rain's coming down, the wind's breaking around you and you're crying out for help and you can't stay afloat and you're struggling to breathe and you're cold, man. And there's no one there to save you. And it was in that moment where I ended up having tea on my knees and I had to say, God, like strip everything away from me. My world, my finances, my life, my identity, anything that I've done in the past, anything that I want to do in the future. I say, God, I need you here and now in this place. And this wasn't because of an inspirational message. This wasn't because I just wanted to be back in church or be a Christian. This was because I had no other option. I needed God or I would not make another day. And it's one of those times where you don't want to kill yourself, but you also don't want to live. And it was in that moment that I felt the embrace of God that I had not felt in a long time, even serving in ministry. And it was in that moment where I just felt like I was with my creator, I was with my dad and nothing else mattered. You could take everything else away from me. It's all I wanted to be. It's better to be with God in the valley than without him in the mountaintop, amen. Now, shortly after that, I started to thrive in areas. My marriage grew to areas, but my wife and I got closer than we've ever been before. We found that after trying that, my wife and I were expecting our beautiful, brilliant daughter, Bella. Relationships grew at work and my finances started to grow and I ended up getting approached with a dream job at Liquid Church. It wasn't until I humbled myself before the cross of Jesus that glow up started to happen in my life and not one of it was anything to do with me doing something better or trying harder or working more and longer hours. It all was because God poured the favor out on my life and it's all his, it's not mine. And he's entrusted me with that. There are people in this room right now who go through cycles of humility back to, to broken before the cross and then God pours his favor out on us and we're thriving, we're killing, we're doing great. And then we feel broken again before the cross. I don't know what cycle of humility and righteousness you are in right now, but I believe everybody is in a cycle. And so maybe you're in this place and you're someone who's tired of pretending of being someone 
they're not just to fit in, maybe at work or with your family. I wanna let you know that your glow up happens when you humble yourself before the foot of the cross. Amen. There's people in here that are brokenhearted. You invested all your time, your heart and soul into a relationship. You gave them everything. You sacrificed it all forever, for eternity. And that person hurt you. And it kills you, man. It tears you up inside, hurts you physically. You feel it in your stomach. Your glow up happens when you humble yourself before the cross of Jesus. See, some of us are in here and we're wrestling with mistakes we made. See, if it's something we didn't do, then it's like, okay, like something will just work out. But if it's something we did, then it's like, hey, it's never gonna work out. Like we completely blew it. We messed it up and we can never go back. And now I have to live with this. I wanna let you know that your glow up happens when you humble yourself before the cross of Jesus. See, there are people in here right now who are in a season of waiting. You have something you've wanted your entire life. You're chasing after, you're praying for it. You're diligent, you're intentional about it. All your energy is going towards this. Your glow up's gonna happen as you are humbled before the cross of Jesus. And there may be people in this place right now who are a little skeptical, but I'm saying maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you're skeptical of Jesus. You're skeptical of the church. But maybe you feel the spirit of God tugging on your heart. And that's because, man, God loves you. That same God that was sitting there at that bench with Luca sitting here with you. I want to let you know that your glow up happens when you humble yourself before the cross of Jesus. So I'm going to pray over you guys and give you guys an opportunity here. If that's you in this place, while we get into some worship, I want to give you the chance to be able to humble yourself before the cross of Jesus. Now it can look different for everybody. For some of you, it's going to be moving over. There's something about moving from one location to the other that gives you a different perspective when you want to hear from God. For some of you, it may be coming to the front of the altar and just getting your hands and knees and crying out to God because you're broken. You just need his embrace, man. And I've been there so many times and there's nothing better than that moment. For some of you, it may be reflecting during worship on areas that you feel that you could be like the Pharisee without even realizing. And God wants to move in your life and make you the perfect image that he has created you to be. And I'm gonna pray over you as we get into worship. God, I pray over every single person in this place right now, Father, wherever they came from, wherever they are, Father, I know, Holy Spirit, that you wanna move in their life so that they are better than when they came in, Father. But here's the deal is it's not just surface level. See, you want every part of them, the parts that they don't share to everybody, the parts that they don't share to you, the parts that they're too proud to give up, Father, and the parts of insecurity that they have in their life. Father, I pray that we want you so desperately that we are able to just posture ourselves humbly before your cross. Because right? your Bible says that the, the exalted will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. Father, I know that this is not why we would do this, but I do know that there's something ironic and perfect about humbling ourselves before you that allows you to pour your favor on us. Holy Spirit, move in this place. I pray that you are glorified in every single person's life today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.